Mr. President, there's been a massive takeover on space prison MS-1. What we want is freedom, or we crash this prison. It's falling out of the sky. We can send in one man, Snow. I'm thrilled that you would think of me. Going to space, get inside the maximum security nuthouse. It's a dream vacation. The control room's on the other side. Where are we? Snow, what's going on? I'm almost there! Hello everyone, this is Rico, and you're listening to Treks in Sci-Fi, and that little preview there was for a new movie coming out uh, this coming Friday on April 13th called Lockout, starring Guy Pearce, and it looks pretty cool. I'm, uh, it hasn't gotten a lot of press, but uh, I'll talk about that a little bit at the beginning of the podcast today. It is um, April the 8th, uh, 2012. Happy Easter to all those listening who celebrate that. I hope you had a had a good one whenever you happen to listen to this uh, in, a, in a day or two or a week or a month or a year. <laughs> this will be podcast, I think it's 379. Is that right? Gosh, coming up on... Uh, Coming up on 400, is that right? Oh my goodness! Yeah, it's 379. I just double checked, and uh, again, uh, welcome to the show. And this is just my early intro to it. Uh, we're going to talk today. Uh, the main topic is a big one, and I don't know really how I'm going to get all this in on a show and in an hour and a half or less. And but I'm going to cover the Terminator movies. There's been four Terminator uh, films on the big screen. T1, T2, do they call it T3? What, what do they call that? I got, I got to look it up. <laughs> T3 isn't really one that people um, really hold dear in their hearts, I think, when it comes to the Terminator films. And then the uh, last one, Terminator Salvation. Anyway, probably mostly going to focus on the first couple but because uh, those are the ones most people think of when they think of the Terminator movies. So that'll be the big topic. Uh, we've got uh, quite a few little Trek news tidbits to to share with you. Some things going on in, in, in that world. And uh, as always, we try to share that. And a few other things as well. And uh, I do want to say at the top of the show here, thanks so much for Rick Moyer's very fun and very humorous. And and I, I think, uh, let's just say, I think people, uh, people enjoyed last week's show in different ways and I, I don't want to say too much there are probably some listening that maybe haven't listened to it yet but thanks so much for your show uh, last week uh, Rick on that uh, lost episode of Enterprise and I'm also going to talk a little bit about the Hunger Games since gosh it's been two weeks and the last time I talked to you I hadn't quite seen it yet I podcasted before I went to see it that day and I will give you my reaction which I enjoyed it and uh, and I'll talk more about that here in a couple moments here on Treks in Sci-Fi. Welcome to the podcast Treks in Sci-Fi, your weekly dose of freaky goodness. With Rico Rossi, not special guests. Space, the final frontier. These are the voyages of the starship Enterprise, Enterprise, Enterprise. It's continuing mission. And now, 
tricks in sci-fi. Make it so. All right. Well, again, welcome to the show, everyone. This is Rico, and you're listening to the Geek Fest called Treks in Sci-Fi, where each week I, I or a guest host, uh, talk about uh, something geeky-related, uh, sci-fi fantasy, Star Trek, Star Wars, uh, Hunger Games, uh, whatever we happen to feel like. And this week, it'll be mainly Terminator movies, like I said earlier on the show. Uh, welcome to the show. hope everyone's enjoying uh, the the spring weather maybe you're having or enjoyed Easter or spring break or whatever's going on in your lives. Hope uh, things are well with all of you listening. And uh, I'm going to just get right into things. I want to cover these news items pretty quickly uh, as much as I can in order to get to the main topic. I want to try to keep a lot of show uh, for that. And I may try to slip in a, a collectible review at the end. If I do, it'll be a pretty brief one, but I think I can do it. We'll see. <laughs> That is the challenge ahead of me today for this morning here on uh, Easter Sunday, early in the morning. Uh, and let's uh, talk about Hunger Games. Let's talk about that. Um, I think I had mentioned before that I decided I had read the book before I went to see the movie. And I'm really, really happy that I did it that way. I think that I enjoyed the movie a lot more that way. I, and it, I don't think it really spoiled anything. This is a pretty emotional movie, in my opinion, or emotional story, I should say. And I think a lot of that, uh, and your, at least my attachment to the characters and their story and what's going on in their lives, comes from sitting down, you know, just and using my imagination and reading through the book, and then going to see the movie. I, I'm, I used to do this all the time, and it's become more and more difficult sometimes over the years to do that, especially with something uh, like this. Although the book is not very long, it, it's just uh, time is limited, and, and so, yeah, whatever. But I'm going to make it, continue to make an effort to do it this way, especially with something that has been a very popular and very well-received book series. There have been other uh, books into movies, and uh, I don't know, it's... It, Sometimes they're just, you know, you haven't maybe even heard about the book that much. But in this case, you know, everyone seemed to really like this book a lot. It got a lot of, uh, you know, especially in the, uh, I'd say, teenage crowd. You know, there's a lot of that in this. People keep talking about it, comparing it to Twilight. I, I don't, except the fact that there are young people involved and young people in danger. I, I don't really get the connection, I, I guess, maybe because it just appeals to that younger audience for the most part. But I know that there are people that are reading this and enjoying it of all ages. I've read it. Uh, my wife Lynn has read it. Uh, people's grandmothers have read it who are, you know, 80-year-old you know, people ha have read it. Guys and girls seem to both enjoy it. I don't think it's really... Uh, I think sometimes people have said the Twilight books uh, appeal more to the girls and the teenage girls crowd. I can see maybe a little bit of that, and you know, because it follows the story of Bella and all that, and and this follows the story of this character called Katniss, and and you know, she's a female protagonist in the book, in the movie. So I could see maybe with uh, young girls identifying with her it could appeal to her. But there's other characters and 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 things going on in this that are, uh, well, just I don't see that it's something that would only appeal to teenage girls. <laughs> I hope not, at least. Uh, but I, I really, really enjoyed the book. I just read through it very quickly, and I enjoyed the movie a lot. Now, a couple things about the movie. I'm not going to spoil it. I think most people maybe who want to see this have seen it by now, and you certainly know the story, but I won't give any major plot points or details. The movie moves very quickly. 
I think in a way maybe too quickly in some ways and maybe not quickly enough in a few other points. I, I had wished, as I always do a lot of times in, in certain movies, that I had spent a little bit, just a little bit more time with the characters, especially the relationship between Katniss and her good hunting friend Gail uh, back in the district where she lives. I think that was given a little less uh, screen time than it really should have, especially... Uh, I think for what comes later, I'm, I'm now reading, I won't say much about it, but I'm reading book two now, uh, Catching Fire. I'm about halfway through it, I think. It moves pretty quick, too. I only just started reading it a few days ago. But the, you know, I think that they needed to spend a few more times on certain elements that, that come into play later. So uh, I wish they had spent some time with more with uh, Katniss and Gale and their live back in the district a little bit and uh, before they got him right to the arena and all the fighting and everything that goes on in there and the drama and the, you know all of that uh, but the you know and I think there's a couple other little points I, I mean I, I really enjoyed it I think the cast did a great job I think the this the visually I think the movie did well uh, you know a good job with you know what the, how they portrayed and showed what happened in the book of course there are elements and things they skipped over even the the at the point in the movie where they get into the arena and and they're having to survive and battle i think that is a, a much more gritty and uh, it's a much more difficult situation i think it's difficult in the movie but in the book because it's told from katniss's point of view her character you get really a, a much more sense of you know she's just having a tough time of it uh for for a few reasons one in the book there's a couple things that happen in the, in the arena that they don't really bring up in the movie that uh make it pretty rough for her and I, again i it's i'm dancing around trying not to give too much away but let's just say that there are things they had to skip over for time i'm sure and I'm not. I don't want to meet, you know, make anyone think that I. I think the movie did a bad job or anything like that. But I'm just pointing out a few things I wish they had added in, and maybe with an extended edition they will put in another factor. And I think this is a pretty important one. This is probably my biggest um, thing that I wish they had done more in the movie that they brought up quite a bit in the book was the the whole hunger factor. Uh, these things are called the Hunger Games. The district where Katniss is from, District 12. These people barely survive. They barely have enough food to food to eat, water to drink, and so forth. And it's one of the reasons why Katniss has become such a good hunter. It's for survival. And, you know, she is able to sort of provide for her family a, a little better than most people can. But even then, uh, she, when she gets to, like, the capital and stuff in the movie, you know, and, the, and all the wonders of all the food and, and the way they live there versus the way they live back where she's from, the, there's... A, a much bigger dichotomy between those two areas, and I, I wish they had brought that up a little bit more. So uh, I feel like I'm probably saying more about this than I really wanted to, especially for time for the podcast. And but uh, suffice it to say, I really enjoyed the movie. I, w I I'm tempted to go see it again. I think they did a good job. Just a few little points like that that I wish they had emphasized a bit more of the starvation and the roughness of the life for most people that didn't live in the. The, the haves and the have-nots, that they weren't uh, living like the haves in the capital where everyone's basically spoiled rotten and has everything they could possibly need. Well, 90, you know, 9% of the rest of the of the living people in Pan Am around the, the surrounding districts are, are really bad off for the most part, uh, So, or a lot of them are. But it, it, it's a great uh, movie, a great book, 
And, you know, in a way, I, I kind of avoided it for a while because of the subject matter. I thought it was going to be kind of hard to read, difficult. But they, the author, uh, Suzanne Collins, really does it in a, in, in a good way, in, in, in efficient and you, without going too far with it. Uh, you make you make, she makes you really feel for the characters really really try to root for them and that's the main thing and their story and what happens to them so this idea of you know kids having to fight each other in this arena is it's there but it, it, she does it delicately you know in, you know sort of I mean there it's probably a little bit more grim and gruesome in the book than it is in the movie uh, they can get away with and do things in the movie that they can't really in a way do in the book. Uh, even though it's from Katniss's point of view in the book, so you only see certain things happen. Uh, but anyway, that's enough of that, I think. Uh, let's take a break. I will uh, come back, uh, but I would recommend one last thing on that. Uh, hey, read the book and see the movie. If you've got a choice, you know, read the book. It really won't take you that long. And then go see the movie if you haven't. And and if you happen to have seen the movie already, please go go read the book. I, I, I guarantee you that you will enjoy it still if you've seen the movie. You will get things out of it. And it will certainly, like it did with me, make me want to run off and, and start reading the next book. And then I'll, I'll probably move on to the third book right after that. So taking a break, I'll come back with some Trek news. This is Pocketbook's Star Trek novelist Michael A. Martin warbling in your ear, and you're listening to Rico on Tricks and Sci-Fi. All right, several uh, Star Trek stories and topics to, to cover today. Uh, the first, uh, a big one I wanted to say is that the uh, fan film folks, Star Trek New Voyages, what they were originally called, and now Star Trek Phase 2, they just released their latest fan film it's out now it is called the child this is based on an old story that's been floating around for a while that was actually uh made into that uh one episode of tng where troy gets pregnant uh from uh a um, alien sort of entity it has sort of similar things like that going on in it but uh if you go over to uh, their website i think they still have a website star trek new voyages.com and, but they're under the name, uh, yeah, it's StarTrekNewVoyages.com. They have download links there. You can watch it up on YouTube. If you just search for Star Trek Phase Two: The Child on YouTube, you will uh, be able to find it. It's about a 52-minute film. Uh, I enjoyed it. I, you know, uh, people always say with the Phase Two and the New Voyages folks, you know, the acting and some of that's a little bit rough. Sometimes some of the storyline pieces of it and the pacing of the episode sometimes doesn't really work out the best and yeah all that's kind of true i mean keep in mind these people are not professionals some of them in a way are but they do this out of the love for trek especially the guy putting it all together who plays kirk james Colley, uh who i think does a pretty good kirk actually uh but one of the things that i really love about watching this is is all the little details that they put in that are for tos fans like myself big uh, fans that grew up on the original series reruns uh you know the costuming the sets the props the effects Th this is like star trek you know times times five or times ten because they're they're sort of able to use some modern technology in in the show but they do it in kind of a retro way for example i'll just give you one little example of that 
you, you may not notice this, but the, the bridge that they've built that, that is a very good recreation of the original series bridge, they're able to use like LCD panels uh, for the different displays on the, on the panels and, and, and that and to give them all the effects they're looking for, but it's a little easier and cleaner for them to do that rather than the old days of, of circuitry and lights and, and and everything they used to have to do for the old show. It still has that look, but it's sort of a little slightly upgraded look to to a point. And uh, But it, it's fun to watch. They have all these little props, things you don't, you know, that you never even really got much screen time on the original series but they use them here on the show more often in, in a way on the, on the fan films they put together. So, so anyway, check that out. They've got, uh, I don't know, maybe half a dozen episodes out are, you know, that are out now. If you've never watched any of them, if you really want to, uh, want to see one of their, their best ones, look for the one with that uh, guest stars, George Decay. I, I think that's an excellent episode. Uh, I think it's called something like, Oh, all the time in the world or, or some of something like that. Uh, I forget the exact title of it, but look for the one with uh, guest starring George, and I think that's a probably their the highlight of the episodes they've done so far. But they're all fun to watch, I, I find at least. And uh, I've always uh, every time like this one just got released, and I watched it last uh, yesterday evening, and, and just sat down and, and enjoyed it quite a bit. So this uh, this episode, like again, is their latest. They've got another one coming up uh, that should probably come out. Not too long, I think, that I know they filmed. They film these way in advance, but there's a lot of post-production on them. There's one, a Klingon-focused one called Katumba. Katumba is coming up. And that one stars, or guest stars, Gil Gerard. Uh, yes, Buck Rogers has a guest star, guest starring part in that episode. I think he's some kind of an admiral or something. There's a, a couple of preview clips on YouTube up for that. So uh, keep an eye out for that. Uh, let's see, what else? Other Trek news going on. Um, GNP uh, Crescendo, I think that's GNP Crescendo Records. They've released a full uh, version, a, a much longer version of Star Trek First Contact uh, on uh, CD. If you uh, look, uh, most of these stories I pull off of the trekmovie.com website, but if you go over to gnpcrescendo.com, you can pick up this uh, extended CD soundtrack for Star Trek First Contact. We just had First Contact Day the couple days ago on April, was it 5th, right? And they've been slowly releasing the Star Trek film soundtracks in extended editions uh, over the last, you know, couple of years. They, they just before this First Contact one, I think they had the Star Trek VI soundtrack that came out. So I've picked up a couple of these. It's, it's great to have them. Some of these uh, you can only get also in CD-only form. Hey, yeah, good old physical music CDs. But that's fine, too. You can always stick them in your computer and uh, rip them to uh, whatever, some kind of audio format you'd like or prefer and have them on your computer, your iPod, or your iPhone, or whatever. So uh, so these uh, extended soundtracks are, are really cool to have. And in a way, it's nice to have a CD. They usually come with a little uh, booklet uh, with pictures and, and notes and things in it. So that's nice. Uh, you don't really get any of that goody stuff when you're uh, just getting a digital download. So... That's available right now, so check that out. Uh, uh, what else? We've got. Uh, they're going to do an Inner Light comic book, uh, a sort of a follow-up to the TNG episode Inner Light, and they're going to do a comic book form of that. They're still, of course, filming the movie uh, that is being worked on, and it should be going on for at least I think a couple more months of filming. Uh, again, I think I've said before. I don't know how much more info we're going to get out of them. 
especially since they put a, a literal wall up around the uh, sets, uh, the outdoor areas. It looks like Nichelle Nichols had a visit with President Obama recently. Of course, President Obama, in, in uh, he's, he's well known for being a Star Trek fan, and there's a very cool picture, I think it's in the Oval Office, of, of President Obama and Nichelle Nichols, uh, both in, in a photo together. And uh, it's really cool to see that. And uh, it's, you know, don't even really bring politics into it or wh- whatever people that are listening, if you're in the United States, what you think of their president. But the, uh, you know, it's just, I think it's kind of a humanizing thing. And, and, and I really like it. And of course, they're both, you know, black Americans or African American uh, people that, you know, have have paved the way for a lot of things in in, in, a, in a way, especially. Well, that's enough about you know that's obvious, right? I mean, come on, what you know, whatever. I'm not saying anything people don't know. So, but that's a cool thing. There's a picture, a nice picture of them up, and there was one other one. Oh yeah, I know what the other story is that I wanted to pass on. This is really a breaking news one, or at least I just read about it first thing this morning. I'm going to put a post. I've redesigned the TrexInSciFi.com website, the main page. Uh, and uh, go over I did that uh, over the last couple of weekends I've been working on it I still got a couple little things left I want to do but it's pretty much there Uh, and I'll put up this story I kind of pick and choose between what I put up there but I'm going to definitely put this one up I guess uh, several years ago back in about 1992 or so there was a plan uh, to you know the the Star Trek experience that was in Vegas was opened in '98, but back in '92 there was a plan by some people that were out there in Vegas and just to um, to build a full scale USS Enterprise sitting basically on the ground in the street. I'm talking about the whole full shebang, full starship engines and you know into the sky. Uh, you know, it, it, there are artists' renditions up, and, and they look pretty fantastic. They were going to have a ramp up the uh, up to the side of the secondary hull, and you were going to be able to take a tour, I guess, inside the ship. They estimated this was going to cost them to build this thing $150 million, which I think I think it seems like a, a nothing amount of money compared to what this would have, you know, maybe cost to build. I think that was a big underestimate in my view but who knows but of course it never happened but the the idea that they were gonna they were even thinking about doing this 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 build this huge enterprise uh, structure uh uh you know this full-scale replica of the enterprise on the ground in vegas for as an attraction is just to me mind-boggling and and so darn cool (laughs) i wish they had done it uh of course this never came to be for a lot of reasons, but it is it is a very definitely a cool concept and, and cool to see the art and how it would have sort of looked sitting there in the middle of Vegas on this, uh, you know, amongst all the hotels and searchlights and things. Uh, but I'll put that story up on the main website and you, you can find more about that, too. I'm reading a lot of this off of, again, trekmovie.com. So uh, that's it for the news, information, stories, comments on movies. Oh, I wanted to... I, I completely slipped over it. I wanted to say a little bit about that uh, preview for Lockout that I played at the beginning of the podcast. Uh, it's a, It stars uh, Guy Pierce, who I've always liked. He was in Memento. He's been in a couple other. He was in that new Time, uh, time tr- uh, what am I saying, Time Machine movie when they redid that. Uh, he's a pretty solid actor, and it looks like he's beefed up a lot for this part. But the, the concept of this movie that comes out Friday is there is a 
prisons. This is sometime, you know, in the future. And, and some prisoners, uh, you know, maybe the really the real nasty ones have been moved to outer space prisons that sort of orbit the Earth. I guess we ran out of place to put them here. And gosh, that that must be an expensive proposition. You know, sometimes you hear in the news about how much it costs to, to house a prisoner, how much it costs taxpayers and things. But think about housing them in space. Come on now, really? Okay, we'll have to just get past that. But uh, basically, there's a prison uh, riot or, you know, the prisoners take control of the station. And what do they do? They find some guy who I guess he's familiar with the place. I think that I had read somewhere perhaps he had escaped from it somehow or used to be a prisoner there. He knows it real well, and, and so they send one guy in, you know, to stop them. Of course, you know, whatever. He's like Rambo. But uh, it looks like a fun movie. Uh, you have to kind of turn your brain off to a tiny bit. I mean, again, I, I go to the, really, prisoners in space? That's that's how we, we can't even afford the space shuttle anymore, but we're going to shove prisoners up in space? Uh, I don't know, but uh, but anyway, uh, it looks fun. It comes out this Friday on the 13th. We also have the new uh, redoing of the Three Stooges, uh, not really a geeky topic, although I think a lot of geeks like the Three Stooges, but that comes out this Friday as well. So uh, the summer movies, we're getting closer and closer, and of course, we're, we're only maybe about three weeks-ish, three to four weeks away from the Avengers. Oh my gosh, that looks good. They keep putting more and more different versions of trailers up and TV spots, and uh, it, it's it's just looking so much like so much fun. I I, I can't believe it, and uh, I'm so looking forward to seeing that. I believe, or I'm going to try to uh, maybe take a day off around there to go see it, and uh, so that's going to be cool. So that's it for that. Uh, I've already blown 25 minutes of this podcast. I don't know how I'm going to do four Terminator films in, in another 30, 40 minutes, but we'll see what we can do. Okay, uh, sit back. I will take a very short break, and I'll be back, and we'll talk about the first Terminator and so forth. Arnold Schwarzenegger is the Terminator. Inhuman. Relentless. Unstoppable. He has only one purpose, murder. Can you stop it? I don't know. And now Sarah Connor's world has become a battlefield with her at ground zero and the Terminator closing in. An adventure unlike anything you've ever seen before. Arnold Schwarzenegger is the Terminator. Now showing at these selected cinemas and drive-ins. Yeah, that was an old uh, TV spot slash trailer for the first Terminator film that you heard there uh, during the break. Uh, of course, uh, I'm sure everyone or just about everyone listening has, has knows of this movie and probably most of you have seen it, but I'm going to go through uh, pretty quickly the four Terminator films. We have... Uh, the first one, The Terminator, uh, also, uh, you know, really got Arnold Schwarzenegger on the map, I think, for the, uh, you know, a lot of his movie career uh, can be traced. He did a couple things, I think, before this, but this was the biggie. Uh, and uh, let me just give you some background on this first Terminator film. 
And then we're going to move through the other ones, Terminator 2, Judgment Day. Terminator 3, it is called T T3 or Terminator 3, Rise of the Machines, and then Terminator Salvation. Uh, the first one, and this also was something that, uh, especially since he's been in the news lately, going down to the deep parts of the ocean, James Cameron uh, directed this movie, and uh, he has gone on, of course, to do uh, just amazing things, box office bonanzas like Titanic and Avatar, and, and this was one of his early uh, moves in his career. So th this first Terminator film really set the stage for a lot of people uh, and their success in, in the entertainment field for years to come. Uh, even the, some of the actors and, and so forth, uh, well, I mentioned Arnold, and, and we had Linda Hamilton as Sarah Connor, and, and Michael Biehn as Kyle Reese. So uh, let's talk about some of the stats in production. It was originally released, the, the Terminator, on, it was released back on October 26, 1984, at a running time of 108 minutes. It, uh, the budget was only six and a half, six and a half million dollars. Yes, only about six and a half million dollars. It made uh, almost uh, uh, 79, about 78.4 million dollars at the box office. So uh, very, very successful movie compared to its budget. You know, people these days will say 78 million bucks. That's not very much. Well, it was 1984. Keep that in mind for one thing. And let me go over. The basic idea of the plot uh, is, again, I think a lot of people know this, but I'll just give you the brief rundown. Uh, and some of this I'm pulling off of Wikipedia. It'll be easier this way, and uh, we'll move through some of this pretty quickly. Uh, in a post-apocalyptic 2029, artificially intelligent machines, they seek to exterminate what is left of the human race. Two beings from that era travel back in time to Los Angeles, 1984. One is the Terminator, played by Arnold Schwarzenegger. He's a cyborg assassin programmed to kill Sarah Connor. The other uh, person that travels back in time is Kyle Reese. He's a human resistance fighter sent to protect her. Uh, after killing two other Sarah Connors listed in a telephone directory, the Terminator tracks the target to a nightclub, and Kyle saves Sarah from the Terminator's attack, and the two make an escape. So the, the premise of this, it, it, it's, it's pretty cool and pretty simple, and, it, and it's one of those basics of tri time travel that happens in sci-fi. The idea that uh, these machines have, have sort of evolved and have kind of, you know, pretty much crushed crushed humanity by 2029 there was this thing called judgment day that happens you learn more about that in the second terminator film uh, but their idea is there's this leader of the resistance uh he is uh supposedly the son or is the son of sarah connor and the the machines get the you know great idea that hey we can time travel let's go back in time kill the leader of the resistance uh, and then basically nothing, there'll be nothing for them, you know, nothing will stop them in the future. If they, they go back in time and kind of kill the human that's really uh, messing things up for them, then, it, you know, it's, it's going to make things easier for them in the future, right? So uh, who do they send back? They send back this, this unstoppable killing machine played by Arnold Schwarzenegger, who, as an early acting job, the great thing about this, and, and the thing I always thought was kind of funny and, and pretty f cool in a way, is that Arnold, you know, when you're not a, a real 
well-trained actor. You're a little stiff. You're a little goofy, you know, but you can excuse all that because you're a machine in this movie. You're a Terminator. You're a cyborg. You're a killing machine. So you can, you know, the, you can deliver very short lines, almost make them kind of funny in certain places like the, the classic that, that everyone to this day even still repeats, I'll be back. Do Sarah Connor here? I'll be back. You know, all that it's it works perfectly you know the casting here is just spot on uh you have linda hamilton playing sarah connor and she's spunky and she you know she runs well in this movie and and is is actually pretty good at defending herself when she you know when she gets really stuck in situations she's not your just um you know she she's much even better than that she's much more of a bad bleep the in in the sex uh, in the second movie uh, Terminator 2 Judgment Day so uh, in the next one uh, she's she's really good at you know and and that's because of things that happened to her in this movie a little bit so um, this uh, anyway this movie set the stage for a lot of this it's a really fast paced movie it was done kind of uh, the, the term is kind of guerrilla style uh, and, and you know they, they did everything they could to keep this movie as cheap as possible to make uh, and uh, I, I like it and it, it you know I, I was planning and trying to watch either this one or Terminator 2 again before I sat down but this week was pretty busy and I didn't get a chance to but I really want to go back and watch this first one again especially I've seen Terminator 2 Judgment Day uh, several times over the years but the first one I think I've only seen a couple of times so I want to watch it again. Um, I want to go through, though, uh, before we move off real quickly into the next Terminator film. Uh, and I may play a clip, one more clip besides that preview from Terminator. I want to give you a, get, uh, some background on where the, um, where the story and some of the casting and some of this happened for this. Um, so this movie came about uh, uh, the, uh, the development of it. And the script here, I want to tell you, too. The story uh, was written by James Cameron, Gail Ann Hurd, who was one of the producers, and a guy named William Wisher Jr. Uh, music by Brad Fidel. It has a very cool soundtrack. It was distributed by Orion Pictures. So there's some of that. Uh, but the development, I think this is kind of interesting. It, 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 James Cameron uh, came up with uh, something here, and I'll, let me go through some of what what they've got here on Wikipedia about this. In Rome, during the release of Piranha 2 The Spawning, <laughs> another Cameron movie, uh, James Cameron grew ill, and he had a dream about a metallic torso dragging itself, itself, itself <laughs> from an explosion while holding kitchen knives. When uh, Cameron returned to California, he stayed uh, at a guy named Randall Frake's home, where he wrote a draft for The Terminator, this movie. Uh, he later stated that his influences while writing the script were things like the 1950s sci-fi films, uh, episodes of The Outer Limits, and contemporary films including The Driver and Road Warrior. To translate the draft into a script form, uh, Cameron also grabbed his friend Bill Wisher, who had a similar approach to his type of storytelling. Uh, Cameron gave uh, Wisher the early scenes involving Sarah Connor, the police department scenes to write, uh, as Wisher lived very far away from Cameron, the two communicated script ideas by recording tapes of what they wrote by telephone and then passed those on to each other uh, and so forth. So they worked on the script. Uh, the story of the cyborgs in the film was cut down to a single robot idea. And then they, they, the liquid, they had this idea of a liquid terminator, a liquid metal terminator that was later used, of course, in Terminator 2, Judgment Day. Um, goes on to other pre-production tasks. You know, one of his uh, 
tests again was to find someone to play Kyle Reese. Orion wanted a star, uh, you know, a big box office star, but they decided against that. Uh, uh, Cameron was actually, he was kind of, so they eventually got uh, uh, B in to play, Michael B in to play uh, Kyle Reese. Cameron originally was not uh, all that in favor of Schwarzenegger as, um, as well, I'm sorry, I, I skipped over something here. They had originally uh, had uh, Schwarzenegger cast to play Kyle Reese before Michael Bean came in. Uh, but then they felt that they would need somebody who was even a bigger guy, you know, physically, than uh, to play the Terminator. The studio suggested get this O.J. Simpson for the role of the Terminator, but Cameron did not feel Simpson would be believable as a killer. Oh, oh boy. Let's not even go into that area. Uh, Cameron still agreed to meet with Schwarzenegger about the film, and uh, he devised a plan to avoid casting him. He uh, Cameron planned to pick a fight with him and return to Hemdale and find him unfit for the role. Upon meeting Schwarzenegger, though, Cameron was entertained by Schwarzenegger, who would talk about how the villain would be played. Cameron begins sketching his uh, face on his notepad and asks Schwarzenegger to stop talking and remain still. And then uh, after the meeting, Cameron returned to Daly, saying Schwarzenegger would not play Reese, but he'd make a hell of a Terminator. <laughs> He was, uh, but Schwarzenegger wasn't exactly excited by this, I guess. And even during an interview when he later did Conan, he asked him about a pair of shoes he had. Schwarzenegger, uh, he he said uh, it was about from some movie that some bleep movie he's making in a couple of weeks. So anyway, Schwarzenegger spent three months training to use weapons and how to feel comfortable with them. So all the weapon use and stuff he didn't really know very well. But keep that in mind. That, that That's kind of a big topic or a big, uh, not a big topic, but a big uh, idea and concept is the, you know, originally Schwarzenegger was going to play Kyle Reese, the human, and they were going to get somebody else for the Terminator. But, hey, come on. He's the Terminator. He's he's Arnold. Uh, so uh, they uh, they got, uh, of course, Linda Hamilton, who uh, who went on, I think, didn't she? She was married to a to uh, James Cameron for a period of time, right? But this was before that all happened. So, uh, so anyway, they um, they got their cast put together, and then they uh, they eventually uh, started doing some filming uh, up in the Toronto area for this movie. And then they, uh, you know, they did a lot of stuff. You know, they had a lot of scenes and destruction and car chases and, and all kinds of things going on, and they. I just think they did a great job with this movie for the budget that they had. So, and it certainly set a lot of people, uh, set uh, you know, a lot of people on their course for being big stars and behind the camera for James Cameron. And it's just, it's a classic, and and even so, so much of a classic that the uh, the Library of Com- Congress back in uh, 2008 deemed that the Terminator, this first Terminator film, was deemed culturally, historically, and aesthetically significant. So the Library of Congress selected this for a preservation in the United States National Film Registry. I don't know how many films are in that currently, but uh, that's a pretty big honor, actually, for for basically, you know, a, a, a crazy sci-fi film about time travel and cyborgs and, and all of that. So, But it, it's just, it set the stage for so many things about the career of people and uh, the 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 concepts of you know think about Battlestar Galactica even although the original Galactica happened before this but the idea of machines rising up in the future and then we're having to fight them that that idea you know that's happened kind of in past sci-fi and in books and in movies and things 
Uh, but this really did it to kind of the nth degree. So it's just it's just a classic. And, and, you, and you definitely, if you've never seen the original movie, check it out. Uh, I want to play another little bit of a clip from the movie for you, and then we're going to segue into the next Terminator film. I'm a friend of Sierra Connor. I was told that she's here. Could I see her, please? No, can't see her. She's making a statement. Where is she? Look, it may take a while. I want to wait. There's a bench over there. I'll be back. Yeah, that, of course, was uh, the classic uh, scene where Arnold, as the Terminator, goes to the police station looking for Sarah Connor and says the the classic line, now, I'll be back. You know, Arnold having that accent in this movie, I think, just made it all the much more better. You know, he's just a little bit weird, a little bit different, and the, play, the fact that he plays the Terminator. One comment that I read while I was playing that clip about something James Cameron said, and one of the reasons they were looking at Arnold for Kyle Reese and not for the Terminator, is that the the idea when they send the Terminator back in time to kill Sarah so that John Connor is never born is... Uh, you wouldn't send somebody like an Arnold who is, you know, so big and, and stands out in a crowd. You would send somebody back like the guy, like like a Michael Bean, uh, you know, character or, or look who could kind of blend into a crowd, not stand out so much. But from an audience viewpoint and from kind of a visceral storytelling viewpoint, you want this guy, you know, it's the same reason they, they, they cast like big, you know, guys to play Superman in the movies, even though he's Kryptonian. He doesn't necessarily have to look like a huge bodybuilder kind of guy, but it helps, I think, to, to have the audience realize, here's a big guy, he must be tough. And you get somebody like Arnold, who has to play this Terminator, who can take people shooting at him and can, can take being beat up and damaged and, and thrown from cars and all that and blown up practically and he keeps coming you 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 really don't want like a little average kind of guy playing him you want a big guy so uh, i just think that's kind of interesting where cameron was thinking more along the lines of having an everyday kind of guy be the terminator so that he wouldn't be all that obvious and noticeable he sort of has to infiltrate areas and and so forth so uh but again this uh this is a classic film and and one everyone should be should see at least once so next oh one last thing about that i wanted to say is arnold really again didn't have the he, he didn't think this movie was going to do very well he he thought it was a piece of piece of crap basically and uh he was just kind of doing it to try to you know he wanted to do movies and uh so he took the job and uh but of course now i'd say he's probably happy that he did it because uh, it certainly he would not have had the career that he had uh, if he had never done the Terminator. Uh, let's move into uh, Terminator 2: Judgment Day. I'll play uh, one of the trailers for that, and we'll come back and talk about that film. Same make. These were taken at the West Highland Police Station, 1984. You were there. 
same model. These were taken today. You have to let me see my son. He's in great danger. New mission. Once, he was programmed to destroy the future. I don't know what it's like to try to kill one of these things. Now his mission... Get down! ...is to protect it. Come with me if you want to live. You're really real. His loyalty is to a child. Who sent you? You did. 35 years from now. And his enemy... He's a Terminator like you, right? Not like me. ...is the deadliest machine ever built. Can it be destroyed? Unknown. This time, there are two. Terminator 2. You just can't go around killing people. Why? If you thought you had seen it all... Again. Stay down! Go! Now! We gotta stick together! Arnold Schwarzenegger. Terminator 2, Judgment Day. This time, he's back. For good. Trust me. Okay, this one is uh, obviously, or maybe not obvious, but my favorite, of course, of the series, and I think probably for a lot of people. It, it, it's just such a fantastic movie. Terminator 2 Judgment Day uh, came out on July 1st, 1991. Uh, was a official kind of premiere and then really in theaters july 3rd 1991 ran uh running time 139 minutes uh cost uh, a bit over 100 million dollars actually this was the first movie ever made that cost more than 100 million dollars so there's a good trivia fact for you in our start of looking at this movie it made over 500 million dollars at the box office so huge huge successful movie uh coming coming out uh, in the early 90s and, and continuing to set the stage for bigger and uh, more huge blockbuster sci-fi you know kind of epic films uh that happened during the 90s into the 2000s and even up to the current day so uh, just James Cameron pulled out all the stops I think in this movie and there are so many uh, just f- really good fun fantastic it's just it's really a perfect almost action movie it has a great story it moves well uh, the characters are, are are just well done and, and it's just it's just a great movie you know there's no denying this movie and how i think how much it, it had an effect on on film and the careers again of these people who were in this just you know got bigger and bigger so uh let, let's kind of go through the basics of it a little bit try to break it down to a degree and, and talk about it they they wanted to do a movie a follow-up to the terminator movie pretty quickly after the original was out and keep in mind that was like 84 this movie didn't come out until 91 so seven years later so there was a long a long stretch of time here 
between uh, these, uh, you know, these films. And everyone kind of wonders when you look back at it now, how come that was the case? What, what happened there? There's a couple of factors, really. Uh, probably the biggest one is there were a lot of legal disputes between the studio and Cameron, who owned the rights, they, you know, who, who was going to really get, you know, make money from this next movie. There was a lot of legal disputes, uh, and it happened, uh, it really delayed it, and, and it really messed things up for a while. There was also the, the special effects factor. They, they wanted to make this one, obviously, a lot bigger, bigger. Uh, and, and crazier than the first movie. And, and digital effects, keep in mind, computer digital effects and things like that, and what you see with the liquid metal Terminator in this movie, the T-1000, played by Robert Patrick, who does just a fantastic job with that. He is such a different uh, Terminator than Arnold was in the first movie. Uh, and uh, and again, the, to make him this liquid metal Terminator that they had thought about doing for the first film was it was a really a great idea but in order to make that look realistic to to the audience uh, you know the effects hadn't really caught up they eventually used industrial light and magic and uh, other uh, effects studios for this movie huge uh, huge effects budget huge uh, amount of people working on the effects for this movie both in uh, the physical world all the car chases and trucks crashing motorcycle work gun work uh, this movie is is just if you want to watch an action sci-fi movie, this holds up to this day, and is just a lot of fun and fantastic to watch. You have uh, you know most of the original uh, movies cast backed with some additional new people along for the ride. Uh, uh, Linda Hamilton is just I, I have to say it a badass in this movie. I mean she really put herself and threw herself into getting in in super super shape uh in this uh, you know the movie starts out she's in this insane asylum and one of the scenes the the scenes in that uh time period or that period of the movie she's doing you know these chin-ups and stuff in her in her cell i think isn't she using only one hand if i remember right it's been a few years since i've seen this and uh and it's just you know she's like super super fit super She's pretty skinny, actually, in this almost, almost too skinny. But uh, but anyway, uh, it's just all the all the actors really threw themselves into this movie. Uh, Robert Patrick was actually, uh, you know, he had he wasn't really super well known at that time, but I think he does a great job here. One thing to watch when you're watching this movie and notice about Robert Patrick. One little thing is he used to play uh, sports quite a bit and, and football. He he injured himself when he played football, and he has a little bit of a limp. Uh, and if you watch this movie, even though, you know, it doesn't, it's not a huge thing, but when you see him, if you ever see him walking or anything, and you see, you seem to think that when he, you know, he's in his, you know, you sort of see him as a liquid Terminator or whatever, the animators and stuff, because he has this slight limp, they added, had to add that to the effects for the Terminator in this movie for his version of it. So, uh, so that, uh, that comes into play. Of course, he can run pretty fast. You see that he can still run even with that injury. But uh, but when he's just normally walking, he has this this kind of a little bit of a funny limp. And I remember when I watched this movie, I thought, why does he look like he's moving kind of weird? Why is this Terminator moving kind of weird like that? And it wasn't the animation in that. It was they were trying to make it mimic the way Robert Patrick really moves. So I thought that was kind of an interesting little tidbit there. So. Uh, so the the premise of this is uh, there's been about um, 11 years or so have passed. They actually uh, set this movie a few years in the future of 
of what of when it came out. It set around like ninety five ish or something like that, I think, and it set past the 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 release date of ninety one. The idea there is that uh, you know. Uh, Michael Bean's character, you know, goes back in time and actually inadvertently the Terminator that sent back uh, Arnold in the first movie, the whole situation, here's a here's a paradox of time travel by sending uh, Reese's character back, Kyle Reese's character back in time, he's actually the one that gets Sarah pregnant with John Connor. And so but the Terminator's trying to chase her down and kill her. They're the ones that actually have or in a way inadvertently create John Connor. So at this point in Terminator 2's time frame, uh, John is as a teenage boy. He is played by uh, Edward Furlong in this movie, who hadn't really had much acting experience at the time. And he plays John Connor, and he's kind of this rebel little kid. He's kind of, frankly, kind of a bit of a jerk, and, and, and just he doesn't care about much. And he certainly isn't the what we would think of as the audience, uh, the leader of the future of humanity and the resistance against the machines. But um, I think one of again the uh, what, and I'm just kind of jumping all over the place for this, trying to cover a lot in a short time. Uh, one of the cool concepts of this movie is when you first see it, and it first starts out, you see Arnold going back and and, and trying to find Sarah and and her son. And you think, oh, here's the Terminator again. He's chasing them down. And you think, oh, he's been, we're doing the same thing again. He's been sent back to kill them, to kill both Sarah and John Connor in the past. But, oh, maybe he uh, he isn't because uh, at, at, at the point in this movie, and it was, I think they showed it in the trailer. You might have heard it there. He says, get down, you know, and it's like there's this other guy who look, who's wearing this like cop's uniform and he's trying to kill them. And Arnold actually saves Sarah and saves her son, John. And, you know, he's like, come with me if you want to live. And and, and then they, they twist the whole concept. They turn Arnold and his Terminator, this program, this version of the Terminator uh, into kind of a good guy. He is a protector. He is the one that actually uh, comes back to to stop and save them from this this even greater killing machine the t-1000 so what a cool concept they take the terminator from the first movie who was this bad guy trying to kill them they send uh, a different program terminator machine to the past this time though he's there to save them and when you first see that you go you know your your jaw kind of drops it's hard to because i think most people know about this now Oh, spoiler alert, if you never saw this movie. <laughs> I hope that's not the case. Maybe it is. Who knows? Uh, but uh, but anyway, it, it's very it's a very good idea. It, it, it is a great idea to take, you know, an enemy from a previous movie and turn him into an ally in this case. And, you know, there's this whole pal around relationship because uh, John doesn't have a father. And you have the Terminator here that kind of pals around with... Uh, with Arnold's character, you know, Arnold's Terminator, and he learns all these lines, you know, like, and, and it's funny because of Arnold and his inflection and the way he says a lot of these lines in the movie. So it's a, it's just, it's just a cool, uh, cool movie. And uh, I, you know, I can't say enough about how interesting it is. It was a huge, long production. They had, uh, they spent, um, gosh, they spent like a half a year or more, a little bit more than half a year um 
filming this movie like 190 days or so, 186 days, uh, and it was just a huge long uh, production. Just, just really, really hard on all the cast and people. Uh, so long, in fact, that Edward Furlong, John Connor's character, since he was going through puberty, kind of at the time, his voice changes in this movie. He also even looks different in this movie. He looks younger in certain parts in it, and much, you know, older and bigger in other parts to a degree. Uh, his voice changed so much, actually, they had to go back in and dub his lines in. He had to go back in and dub his lines in so that his voice would match throughout the movie because this movie only takes place, what, over a few days of time and not not over six months of time. So uh, so anyway, uh, just a very cool movie. Lots of, lots of neat stuff. I mentioned Linda Hamilton and her training. Uh, I'll tell you a little bit more about that uh, here. Uh, Linda, she trained with... Uh, uh, some Israeli commando, guy, this Israeli, sorry, Israeli commando guy named Uzi Gal, and another personal trainer, Anthony Cortez, for about like three hours a day, six days a week for 13 weeks. Uh, she used weights and learned judo and and, and heavy military training techniques. Uh, she had to maintain this very non-fat diet and lost 12 pounds. So uh, so it's uh, you know she she uh, she really really you know worked crazy for this and uh, there's and it shows I mean there's certainly uh, Robert Patrick also trained extensively for this movie he had uh, especially a running regime uh, so he could basically run like a machine not looking like he was tiring out and and it and it shows I don't think I've seen too many guys run in a movie like he is able to do in this movie and there's no scene cut there's no you know there's one where he's chasing them down in the car uh or they're in the car and he they're trying to get away and he runs and he's just like running 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 not breathing heavy just keeps that same kind of stride very mechanical in a way uh and it's and it's uh it's very very uh convincing uh he looks inhuman and that's the idea that you want here uh, again, uh, just a fantastic movie. Let me play another clip from it, and uh, then I'll try to come back uh, and kind of segue into the next Terminator film. No! 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 Help her! Wait here. Hurry up! Hurry up! Kill us all! Kill us all! Oh, Kill us all! No!
Yeah, just a great movie. Could talk about uh, this movie, T2, uh, or Terminator 2 Judgment Day, uh, for uh, a whole podcast easily. It's just great. Arnold's fantastic. The cast is great. The story, the action, everything. One interesting other little tidbit, and then we're going to quickly move on to uh, Terminator 3 Rise of the Machines, is... Uh, one of the original ideas was to completely just reverse the roles in this movie. They were going to bring back Michael Biehn to play the T-1000 instead of Robert Patrick. So basically he would be the one trying to kill uh, the Connors and it would be Arnold protecting them this time, you know, reversing them, the roles completely. But they, the people working on the movie thought that that would be just a little too confusing to the audience uh, so they decided to get Robert Patrick to get a different actor for the T-1000. I I don't think it would have been necessarily super confusing, but I think it's more interesting to bring in another uh, actor, another character, uh, instead of just using, you know, the flipping them around completely like that. I like the twist of Arnold being the good guy here, uh, but I think just doing both of them that way would just seem kind of, um, yeah, I think it's more interesting the way they did it in the end. Uh, but, uh, yeah, interesting idea that they were thinking of. Uh, they originally, too, when the, the movie first came out in the trailers, and they were very careful to try to keep that surprise of Arnold being the good guy here, the protector, uh, away from the audience. Later on, that once it was out for a bit, that got kind of out there and released. So they, they kind of started to show that a little bit more. But early on, they tried to keep that a secret. And it, they did a pretty good job with it. I remember when I first saw it, I was surprised by that. I didn't know that that was coming. And I, I thought that was a great twist to do. So next up, uh, and I'll play the trailer or one of the trailers for Terminator 3 Rise of the Machines, the third movie uh, in the tr- in this trilogy, or not trilogy, quadrilogy. <laughs> anyway, here we go. T3 Rise of the Machines. It's not gonna last. Imagine a world of permanent darkness where machines control man's destiny. Imagine you were the only one who could stop it. But before you do, something terrible has to happen. Are you going to kill me? No. My mission is to protect you. Oh, God. She's coming. TX, can you find a way to destroy her? Unlikely. I'm an obsolete design. TX has corrupted my system. The machines, they're starting to take over. Judgment Day. The end of the world is today, three hours from now. Get away from me. Now! What is your mission? To ensure the survival of John Connor. You are about to fail in that mission. You don't have to do this. You don't want to do this. Desire is irrelevant. I am a machine. 
Okay, we're onto the third Terminator film. We're have to go pretty fast now through this and the last one, uh, the Terminator uh, Salvation. But uh, this one, Terminator 3, Rise of the Machines, this is the one that most people are not really all that thrilled with in the Terminator series. And, you know, I think it has some uh, some good points to it, and I think it's still worth seeing it. it um, but, uh, you know, there's, there's definitely differences. Let me break some of this stuff down for you. This... Uh, came out on July 2nd, 2003. So, you know, again, quite a long gap here between Terminator movies. That's the, the interesting thing about this series, even though they've been, it's been a popular franchise and, and made good money, there's been long breaks. You know, there was uh, about seven years between the first two, and now we're, we're here. This one's like over, over 10 years later, right? So you were from... 91 or whatever to uh to now so it's uh you know there's like 12 years between the movies uh and this came out again uh, or or 2003 sorry more than that yeah about about 12 91 to 2003 uh it was a budget of about 200 million once 175 to 200 million it made about 433 million in the box office so still a pretty big success at the box office the the premise here again is uh, you've had about uh, 10 years-ish or so go by between in the movie time frame, and, and John Connor is older. He is played this time by an actor named Nick Stahl. Uh, you, uh, they had a few other possibilities, especially an actor named Shane West, who is on that Nikita TV show these days. He was up for the role here of John Connor. Arnold, of course, is back. Arnold Schwarzenegger as the Terminator. Uh, Claire Danes plays this character, Kate Brewster in the movie uh and the big thing here the bad terminator the uh, the one coming back trying to kill john connor this time is a female terminator if they're really if that's the right terminology to use called the tx played by actress christana loken uh who is playing the female terminator coming back to kill uh kill john connor they're giving that one more try huh okay and the other thing that goes on in this or the other interesting thing about this is that uh, they set this movie in the time frame when Judgment Day was supposed to be happening. So that's the interesting thing, I think, one of the interesting things this movie has going for it, is you get to see the rise of the machines to a degree. You get to see some of what happens be when that starts to happen. And, and that that brings out some interesting concepts, I think. Um, they, uh, they decided, or one of the reasons, let me go through some of the other things, one of the reasons this movie took a long time is that they couldn't again make decisions about who was going to do what and, and direct and things. And James Cameron, unlike in the first two films, James Cameron actually had nothing at all really to do. He had nothing at all to do with this third Terminator movie. And I think that's one of the reasons why people kind of tossed it to the side and say, uh, you know, they, they decided that they didn't, uh, you know, really uh, want to use him, and so they kind of tossed it off to another guy. Uh, a, a director, a decent director, Jonathan Mostow, was the uh, director for this uh, screenplay by John Brissato and Michael Ferris. So, again, it focuses around Judgment Day, and uh, then again, they, uh, they decided to go and make this movie without Schwarzenegger. And uh, the... Uh, one of the problems in getting it off the ground was Schwarzenegger kind of was holding out for James Cameron. They He basically was saying if James Cameron isn't back working on it and directing it, he wouldn't um, 
he wouldn't do the movie. And I guess James Cameron basically told Arnold, because the, the two of them had become friends in making those other movies, friends over the years. He basically told Arnold, hey, if they want to make another movie, you're the Terminator, you should be in it, and just ask him for a whole boatload of money. And and he did get uh, he did get paid quite a bit. He got paid like $30 million to make this movie, like 20% of the profits. So do the math there. He, he, made, he made out pretty good on this uh, movie. Uh, Arnold... Uh, Arnold also got an amazing shape for this. You know, he was about 54 at the time. Uh, many years had passed since the second Terminator movie. Uh, and, uh, you know, he was, you know, he's a bodybuilder, you know, originally, and he'd always try to stay in pretty good shape. But he worked out for months getting back into, you know, trim physique. So he was pretty much the same size and build that he was in the second Terminator movie by the time they did this. They were also going to have Linda Hamilton in this movie, you know. For those of us who have seen it, you know her character Sarah Connor is is dead at this time, but they they had this idea of bringing her into the movie a bit, and uh, but Linda Hamilton basically declined because she said it wasn't uh, wasn't really uh, necessary, and she thought her her character's arc was complete with the first two movies, and uh, you know there was basically she was going to be in it, but they were going to kill her off and partway into the movie anyway, into in this third movie, so she declined to do the movie, so they just basically put the movie in place or or set it out with her uh, being already gone in it when they start the movie out. So John Connor, you know, he's kind of uh, uh, kind of knows what's coming. He is sort of off the grid trying to uh, trying to stay hidden away and things like that uh, during this and they send this female Terminator back, uh, the TX played by Christana Loken to kill him again. Uh, and she also sort of involves and, and creates some of what happens with Judgment Day, too. A couple uh, bits of trivia here. I'll go through some stuff. Uh, other actresses that were uh, thought of to play uh, the TX here were carrying on Moss, of course, from the Matrix movies. Jerry Ryan, uh, yes, our own Seven of Nine from Voyager. Keep in mind that this time when this movie came out, Voyager, I think, was pretty much done at this point in time. Had just, you know, finished its run a year or two before this, so it would have been a good, good timing for her. Uh, so Jerry Ryan, uh, Carrie Moss, Peter Wilson, uh, another couple of people, some uh, wrestler women were considered, and they went with this pretty much an unknown, Christiana Loken, who trained a lot, uh, put on a lot of weight, actually worked with some mime coaches and different people to. Uh, to learn how to, she doesn't really have barely any lines, I think, in this movie. So a lot of her expressions and what she does in the movie has to be sort of through her face and her movements and things. And uh, I think she actually does a good job in this movie. And and again, I don't think this is really a terrible movie by any means. Is it up to the other, to the level of the other couple of movies that have come before it, especially T2? No, not probably not. But I, I think it's worth watching, and and it's fun. So. Um, Give it a shot when you get a chance. Uh, that, that's about all I want to say. There's a lot of other little bits of trivia and talk. Uh, they, of course, one of the things, the ongoing thing through the uh, Terminator films is they try to use these lines like I'll be back, you know, as little catchphrases that Arnold has in most of the movies. And you'll see a lot of that in this movie, too. Some of the lines they don't uh, always have in, but there's a lot of that kind of stuff going on. So, uh so that's that. Uh, I, I'm not going to go right now into play a little bit of a trailer for the fourth, uh, the last Terminator movie that we had just a couple of years ago, Terminator Salvation. Uh, and uh, I'll come back and chat about that briefly. I knew it was coming. 
I thought I knew our enemy. But I don't know if we can win this war. We are outnumbered by machines. And we have all lost so very much. But this is not the future my mother warned me about. Okay, there you had the trailer for the last Terminator film, the last one that we've had, and the last one we'll be talking about on the podcast today, Terminator Salvation. This one came out on May 21st, uh, May 21st, sorry, 2009, cost uh, over $200 million, like the most expensive film, independent film made at the time uh, when it came out, uh, oh, made at the box office almost $400 million, $370 two million about uh, on the box office so it did okay this this movie's okay to me it's nothing great one of the cool couple cool concepts one this this movie is mostly set during uh the future where the you know the machines have taken over so we're finally getting a chance to see that that world of the resistance with john connor played by christian bale in this movie and what goes on with fighting the machines and having to deal with all of that. And you can see John Connor has is, is not died in the past and has made it to this time frame. Uh, and he is fighting the machines. Uh, humans are pretty much not doing very well, and they're not winning. And uh, and the other main character in this movie is played by Sam Worthington, Marcus Wright. He is a different kind of machine, a much more human machine. Uh, still pretty tough, but uh, they're, they're not really sure uh, what's up with him. Uh, a couple casting notes. Uh, one, Christian Bale is John Connor here. Originally, they were, uh, they were not thinking of him. They were going to use uh, Christian Bale as the Marcus character in this movie who is uh, played eventually, of course, like I just said, by Sam Worthington, who we just saw in Wrath of the Titans. By the way, I did see that movie. It's pretty much like Clash of the Titans, so uh, that's out in theaters now. Um, and they um, they were going to do Bale for Marcus, and they decided not that. Uh, Christian Bale actually really wanted to play John Connor, so that's kind of how that went down. They had some other ideas for the Marcus character besides Sam Worthington. Uh, they were thinking actually Russell Crowe, uh, but uh, they uh, thought that Sam Worthington looked a little bit of, like a tougher guy, so uh, uh, you know he he ended up getting the part. Uh, Anton Yelkin, who we know is playing Chekhov in the J.J. Abrams Trek films, uh, he plays Kyle Reese. Uh, remember, uh, he is uh, the brother. I think he's right, the brother of uh, of uh, Reese, who goes back in time, right? So. Uh, 
or is is it the same name as Kyle? I don't gotta look that up. I were they brothers or is it the same? Hang on one second. Yeah, no, they're they're not they're not. That is the, supposed to be the same guy who played by Michael Bean in the future as an older character, but he's younger here playing by um, Anton Yelkin. So they had that little twist uh, in there too that he had to you know keep that guy alive you know because he has to go back in time and save him. So. Um, they had other uh, actors. Moonblood, good, uh, plays Blair Williams. She's kind of part of the resistance. Uh, we have uh, Bryce Dallas Howard, plays Kate Connor. She's John's wife. Uh, Michael Ironside, a classic uh, guy from the V series and many other things. He is in this. He's a general and a leader in the resistance. Uh, there is also, uh, I think, a, uh, a little bit of voice work by Linda Hamilton in this movie, playing uh, Sarah Connor just some in, in voice uh, parts. So, uh, you know, this movie's okay. I, I think there's some interesting concepts. The, the idea of this Marcus character who looks and appears uh, very human and is this almost ultimate machine uh, in, the, in the future isn't such a bad guy really here. And, uh, and again, you get to see a lot of real fighting of the future between uh, Skynet and the machines and the resistance. So that, that has, uh, what, what this movie has kind of going for it. So, uh, uh, I think, uh, it's worth seeing again. Uh, I know this has been a real brief look at all of these Terminator movies. If I was probably, uh, willing or wanted to really do a better job, I would have, uh, just gone through them one at a time, at least, uh, especially T1 and T2, uh, the Terminator first one and and, and uh, this um, and the second one, which I think are just ultimate classics. The last two worth seeing, uh, not amazing or great movies, um, but they're okay, and uh, I still think they're in interesting uh, films. The last one of, uh, that I uh, wanted to say too that with Terminator uh, Salvation, there was uh, no Arnold in that movie. It was the, really the only movie uh, in the Terminator franchise we got no Arnold Schwarzenegger, of course. I think he was off being governor of California at the time, uh, but uh, I, I don't think they really had it in mind. And, the, you know, one of the problems with the Terminator films and, and the time spans between them is all, has been the, all the legal wrangling that's been going on, and it's kind of sad in a way. I mean, it's, it's history now, and it's the way things have gone, but, uh, you know, between Cameron and the studios and other people uh, that worked on these films— uh, so, uh, you know, Cameron and Arnold didn't have anything really much to do with this last movie in the franchise. Um, one last thing on the Terminator series you probably are aware of, but there was a pretty good uh, TV series that ran for, did it run for two seasons, I think we got? Yeah. Uh, Terminator, the Sarah Connor Chronicles. You should be able to find that on uh, on DVD, Blu-ray, Netflix, and all. It's worth watching. I think it's got some interesting things in it, and uh, I enjoyed that quite a bit. Uh, Summer Glau was in it, and we had, um, uh, she's on Game of Thrones now. Why can't I think of her name? But she was in that. She played Sarah Connor uh, in that uh, TV series. So uh, Lena, Head Lena Headley, I think. So anyway, uh, check that out when you get a chance. All right, I think I'm going to just take a short break, um, and then I'll come back, and I'm going to do a very quick collectible review. So uh, stand by for that. Hi, this is Connor Trenier. You're listening to Treks in Sci-Fi. All right, the collectible that I wanted to talk about, I just got this past week, and I thought I would do a quick review of it. It is a uh, stunt pistol, Malcolm Reynolds' uh, stunt metal-plated stunt prop replica pistol of his gun pistol from the series Firefly. This is being made by uh, QMX, or Quantum Mechanics. Uh, 
you could find them at qmxonline.com. And uh, this is, you know, the sidearm that Mal used in Firefly and the Serenity movies. There was a slight difference between the look of it from uh, the uh, Serenity film and Firefly. It had a kind of a more gun-like, I think, and darker look in the TV series than it did in the movie. Uh, but anyway, this, uh, I think, uh, I'd say it's probably a little bit closer to maybe the, the TV series look, but uh, that's kind of hard to say. Anyway, uh, QMX, uh, a while back, maybe, you know, six months ago, something like that, they put out a phaser replica uh, that was a metal-plated stunt pistol replica of what uh, J.D. Abrams' phaser looked like from his movie from 2009. And now they've done this sort of inexpensive prop stunt pistol for Mal's gun from Firefly. And basically what it means is it's a uh, poly, you know, they call it polystone, but it's basically a plastic material that's cast in, in, a, in a, you know, a stunt version of it. So this isn't like a high-end all-metal replica or by any means. It is just a, a stunt uh, piece, so that makes it pretty inexpensive, but it's cast uh, in plastic, and then it's metal-plated, and in this case for the Mal pistol, it's painted and kind of weathered to give it kind of that gun look to it. Um, it's uh, as a it only cost me like seventy dollars, not very expensive. I got it actually from a company called Redford Films, a distributor that sells replicas. In that uh, they have it on sale right now. It seems to be out of stock on the QMX site, but uh, I don't think this is as of nice quality as the the Phaser replica that they did. It also um, a couple things. Uh, it it it's got. I don't think it's done as nicely. The paint job I, is a little bit uh, off in some places. The fit and finish of the parts and the and the and the replica itself isn't the best. It's not bad, and for a seventy dollar prop replica of this pistol, I think it, to me, for me, it's worth it. But it's it's again, don't expect a perfect piece. Don't expect. I don't think quite even as nice as, like I said, the phaser replica if you've got that one. But it's okay, and I, I still feel like it's worth the money to me. Uh, it comes on a little a stand. There's a little stand that comes with it with a little metal nameplate on it. There's no actual case or cover for it, but you do get a stand to set it in. Uh, so for the price, that's not bad. Uh, just like the phaser replica had a little stand but no cover or case. Uh, and again, uh, the other thing that I thought that was kind of a little odd about this piece to me is it seems a little small. I'm... I'm I think it's supposed to be full scale, but uh, it seems in my hand at least, and just that compared to what I remember seeing on screen, and uh, um, Nathan Fillion who plays Mal, he's like about six foot, six one, he's a pretty big guy, and when he held the pistol in his hand on the show, it seemed bigger. And I would think QMX did this full scale, and this is accurate, but I don't know. It just seems a little bit uh, small, like about 90 95%, you know, just a smidge under full scale. I can't say for sure. I have no idea if it, the measurements match or any of that. That's just my, just by virtue of picking the thing up and sticking it in my hand, it seems kind of tiny for a pistol. Uh, and granted, I think they made it in the Old West style for Firefly a little bit, and maybe it was a little bit smaller than I really have this you know, impression of, I don't know. Um, but, uh, that's just, again, my gut kind of telling me. So, uh, but, uh, if you're a fan of the show, 
and you want a very inexpensive excuse me inexpensive replica of uh this piece uh, this is definitely for you you again you can find it at redford films and i'm sure other places online uh for a pretty cheap price uh it's out of stock on qmx's site like i said but it'll probably pop up again and they don't have any i don't think limited edition edition sizes with these items in that so uh so it should be available for a while i know you can still pick up that phaser replica uh, I think uh, I've seen it on Redford Films site pretty cheap now, like down to $40. That's definitely worth getting for Trek fans if you want a nice little prop replica piece. So they don't make any sounds. They don't do any have any moving parts or anything like that. They're just a static replica. So keep that in mind when ordering. All right, that's going to do it for this week's uh, pretty packed show. I hope everyone's enjoyed uh, the podcast today, my look at the Terminator movies, and and so forth and so on. Uh, a couple of comments. Uh, first, check out the forums, treksandsci-fi.com. Click on the forum link, join up. Shoot me an email at treksf at gmail.com if you want to join the forum. Or if you have thoughts about future shows that you'd like me to cover, uh, Trek episodes, things like that. Uh, donations uh, are always appreciated via PayPal. There's links for that on the main website. You know, a couple of dollars if you feel like it. Feel free to sign up for a recurring monthly donation of a couple of dollars a month. That's fantastic. Uh, always helps support the show. And the hosting fees and monthly hosting charges and all of that uh, would be great. iTunes reviews, too, are always fantastic. Okay. That's about it. Uh, two last things. One, next week's show is going to be a guest cast. You're going to have Al and Brian back here to talk about the second Aliens movie. We are on a, a classic sci-fi uh, movie uh, theme right now, especially James Cameron's stuff. Cameron talked about a lot today with the Terminator movies, and next week they're going to cover the second Aliens movie. So that should be a lot of fun. Those guys uh, did a great job with Alien, and I'm really looking forward to hearing what they have to say about the second Aliens film. And also the other thing that I wanted to mention is we got a cool new song uh, from Mr. Rick Moyer, our maestro of musical parodies and that. He did a Terminator-related song that I'm going to play for you at the end of the show today. So stay tuned for that. Thanks for listening, everyone. Have a great week. I will talk to you again in about two weeks. Next week again, Guest Cast with Al and Brian on Aliens. So take care, everyone. Bye-bye for now. I'll be back. I'll, 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 I'll be back. Thank you, Sarah, for your courage through the dark years. I can't help you with what you must soon face except to say that the future is not set. You must be stronger than you imagine you can be. You must survive or I will never exist. Come with me if you want to live. Hasta la vista, baby. It can't be bargained with. It can't be reasoned with. It doesn't feel pity or remorse or fear. And it absolutely will not stop, ever, until you are dead. I swear I will not kill anyone. I came across time for you, Sarah. I love you.
I'll be back. This has been a Rick Dusty podcast production. 